Good morning. My name is Beth Elkins. This morning's scripture reading is found in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. If you'd like to follow along with today's scripture reading, now is the time to get out your Bibles or follow along on the screen. I'll be reading from the New International Version, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 8. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning once again. My name is Peter, for those of you who are not here. Before I get to the sermon this morning, I want to point out a ministry that uh, is being revived. There's a ministry at our church called Congregational Care that has uh, struggled and atrophied a bit over this last season. But we recognize the importance of this ministry, so we want to bring that up. We've assigned a pastor to it to be uh, making sure that there's a pastoral staff connection. And we have some lay leaders who are going to be uh, rebuilding this ministry. For example, you ask, what is congregational care? It's to meet practical and temporary care. Uh, For example, if you have a baby that's coming in November, let's say, a baby girl, uh, as the uh, Browns are expecting... And uh, I don't know if it's just me, but I really think she looks like Carrie. <laughs> you see the, the forehead, the mouth, nose area? That really looks like Carrie to me. So, but I, and I've, I've had several of these things, so I know <laughs> how to read the tea leaves here. Um, and basically what it is, is if you want to participate in this ministry, it's a really low bar. All you do is put your name and phone number and email on a list, and you're on a call list. And so we'll say, we want to deliver meals to uh, Marshall and Carrie for a set number of days or weeks or whatever it is. And then somebody organizing that time will call you and say, hey, can you deliver food on any of these days? No, I'm away on vacation. That's great. No, we're not going to get all judgy on you or anything like that. It's just, we'll just move on to the next list. So it's a real easy way to get to know people, to sort of uh, pinch, pinch, pinch it for people or uh, you know, pitch in when you can. And so I want to encourage many of us to be on this list. There should be like 40, 50 people on this list because it's such a low bar uh, ministry to participate in. Okay, and uh, there's more information about that in your bulletins. So please uh, think about that. Uh, I have a special one-off sermon today that I want to preach. The title is Always Green. And uh, also... I don't know if you're noticing this, but my notebook computer is not here. I'm, I'm trying out this borrowed iPad mini. And uh, I'm trying to see if I can not have this huge obstruction, this compensatingly large notebook that I open up every week. So um, uh, we'll try this little mini thing. All right. Um, so what I want to do today is I want to present a rationale and a vision um, uh, for changing the name of this church. Uh, we're going to go through the history of the names of this church. There have been several. We're going to do all of that. Uh, but 
at the end of the day, it is a choice that we're making. There is no have to here. We don't have to do it, but we are choosing to do it. And so I want to present the reasons for that. Okay, there's going to be several things we're going to do. Uh, first, there's going to be an introduction. It's going to feel a little bit long, actually. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the context of this passage, of this short verse that was that Beth read for us. And then we'll look at three major uh, points I want us to think about, or buckets that have some other thoughts in them. Open source, resilient, and green. And then we'll have a, a conclusion. Okay? Okay, let's first do the introduction. Name changes in society. The philosophy or the driving um, goal of name changes or naming things in general in our culture are three things. Possession, dominance, and when you want to have a fresh, brand new start. One example of this is when airlines merge. There's great debate about which name goes first or which name stays and which name goes. And it's really competitive. It's fierce. It comes down to the line. There's a lot of negotiating, but it's really about possession. Who owns who? Who owns whom? Maybe that's better. And, uh, and who dominates whom? Right? But name changes in the Bible are not that way. That's not why name changes happen in Scripture. What we see again and again and again in the Bible is that whenever there is a name change, when God changes a person's name, it happens a lot. What God is trying to do is to move further down the field the mission for which the person was originally born. And so God is saying, I created you, Peter. For a specific purpose, with a specific personality. I've allowed certain events to happen in your life to be formative. And somehow you are straying from the path for which I created. You're designed specifically for this pathway. But you're straying. And as a way to symbolize. As a way to name this work that I'm doing in you. That's going to restore you. That's going to bring you back to the original image in which you were created. I'm going to give you a new name. This is in Latin. It's called Imago Dei. The image of God. We are all created in God's image. You can't just be whoever you want to be. Do you know that you have limitations and you have preferences and you have tendencies? There's hardwiring in you. You think you're choosing your life. And God says, no, no, no. Your life has already chosen you. Freedom. What is freedom? Freedom isn't just doing whatever you want. Your problem is not that you're not free. It's that you don't know what you want. You have the, all these false selves that you are living out of. But there's a true self. Underneath all the layers and the crust of all the people you've been trying to be and all the people you felt you ought to be, all the people you're trying to be for other people, underneath all of that is a true you. And when you are able to tap into your true identity and live out of that identity, that's what we experience as freedom. That's what we experience as healing. 
right? And God says, I'm going to give you that name. I'm going to help you live into and out of that very name that I've given you. Uh, Another word for this is actually intimacy. In the book of Revelations, uh, it tells us that there's a name that each, every single one of us, we have it. We don't know it yet. Because it is so near and dear to the core of who we are. Only our creator knows it. God himself knows it. And then at a, t- at, at a certain time in history, I don't know when that is, God is going to reveal that name to you. And the book of Revelation says nobody else will ever know this name. Only you and God will know this name. Can you imagine that? He has a name just for you. And only he will call you by this name. When you hear him call this name, you're going to start flourishing. You're going to experience a freedom and a trueness and a peace and a joy and a satisfaction you've never experienced before. It's intimacy. Have you ever experienced that? You know, uh, when, when I first got married, we're not so into this now, but uh, I remember um, pet names were kind of a big deal. We were deciding, like, what are we going to call each other? Because now if I call her Susie, it feels kind of funny. It feels a little weird and formal. And so, you know, if I answer the phone, I'm not going to say, oh, hello, Susie. I'm going to say, hey, babe, what's up? Right? Or honey. You know, if, you, if I say honey, a lot of husbands will just turn or wives will turn their heads because a lot of us are named honey. <laughs> but there is, a, there, is a, there is an inflection or a tone and a voice, a quality to how that honey is said. And so we're not going to do that. We're going to know exactly when our honey is calling us honey. Right? And for some of you who are single, you're looking forward to that day. I know. I know. It's great. It's wonderful. It's intimacy. Okay? Uh, Three examples. Abram means exalted father. The problem is he had no kids. And so it it was a mockery of a name. Imagine being called exalted father and you have no kids. That's, that's embarrassing. That's shaming. Right? And then God says, no, your name will be Abraham. Not just a mockery name, father, exalted father. But father of nations, because you're actually going to have many nations from your seed. And then God fulfills that promise. Or Jacob, his name means deceiver. Because he was a deceiver. And God says, no, 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 no. You're going to prevail with God. You're going to wrestle and struggle with God. And God is going to bless you. Because of that, you're going to be renamed Israel. El in Hebrew is the word God. Prevails with God. Simon. It means God has heard. And then God says, nope. You're not just going to be somebody who's crying out to God. Remember, impetuous Peter trying so hard. This is, this is, Simon is the guy who is all sincerity, but no fruit in his life. He means well. He's, he, he's the uh, sort of majoring on minors guy. You know, the, the, uh, the game of, you know, missing the point. The adventures in missing the point. That's Simon. Always crying out. 
But he says, no, you're going to be a stable guy. You're going to be the rock on which I will build my church, one of the pillars of the church. Because of him, we exist today, renamed Rock. And then occasionally we see God reverts back to their former names. So after he's renamed Jacob Israel, sometimes he calls Israel Jacob. You don't want to do that now, do you? And then sometimes he calls Simon, uh, Peter Simon. I do this too. Uh, when Susie does something that's totally, uh, I don't know, unacceptable, I call her Instead of Susie or Honey or Babe, I call her Susie Chi by her maiden name. And uh, one day she said, Peter, you know what? I don't like it when you do that. I feel like you're disowning me. And, uh, and I thought about that, and that's what I was doing. I, just, I wasn't pleased with, you know, whatever it is she did or didn't do. And, um, you know, being flabbergasted, I called her Susie Chi. And uh, now I've actually tweaked it a little bit. I still call her Susie Chi, but it's when she does something that I would do. You know, like forget. Susie's not very forgetful, but when she forgets something, that's what I do. I'm the guy that, you know, the kids make fun of because I forget things all the time. And if she forgets something like she recently does, I say, Susie Chi, what's going on? What's going on? And uh, so uh, we do that too. Um, I actually uh, changed my name. My name at one point, my birth name uh, was, uh, there you go. It's in, in Korean, it's pronounced, it's two syllables. It's tong, D-O-N-G, one, like I won. Okay? Uh, it's become anglicized to be pronounced dong wan. Um, <laughs> and so my name was always dong for short, and so people always call me Dong, and Ding Dong, the witch is dead, and everywhere I go, the witches die. Um, I've actually heard it all, so if you can spare me the jokes after service, that would be great. Uh, back in grade school, we had an assigned pen pal that I was writing to, and uh, he wrote me a letter asking how to pronounce my name. There's no way I could explain that over, over a letter. So I just wrote, you know, actually just call me Peter. And then I went to the bathroom after I turned in this letter to my teacher to uh, proofread. I came back from the bathroom and the teacher said, ready, set, go. And all the whole class stood up and said, hi, Peter. <laughs> and so it was, it stuck. It became Peter since that, uh, you know, fourth, since fourth grade, it's been Peter. And then I became a citizen of this great country, and now it's permanent and it's legal. So there you go. That's my name, Peter. Uh, but there was uh, something happening when I renamed myself Peter. It wasn't just a flippant thing. I had thought about this name, Peter. I had actually called myself Peter several times, but had never told a single person. And uh, I named myself this because, actually, Koreans love Jewish names, and so if you meet a Korean person, chances are their names are like Peter, John, David, or Esther, or Mary, or some, some Jewish name. We, we love them. And, uh, uh, but I wanted this name because all my friends were named John and David and uh, Michael. And uh, so th- nobody was named Peter. But it was really about me becoming American. It was about me embracing my identity. Right there was there was uh, something deeper than just pract- uh, practicality in this name, and so um, we're still in the intro, by the way. 
I want to present the rationale for this name change. We'll begin uh, with the history of this church. Uh, MICC has had uh, five separate names, including Mercer Island Covenant Church. In 1950, we were first called Mercer Island Community Sunday School. Was anybody here for that? Okay. And then in 1951, it was changed to Mission Covenant Church. And uh, actually, this was one of the names that we thought about long and hard for about three weeks. And then it didn't quite make the cut. But we thought about going back to this name. And then in 1950-something, I don't know, and we can't find it in the history documents, we were renamed to Mercer Island Community Church. Anybody here for that? Okay. And then in 1950-something, we were renamed again to Island Community Church. And I know many of you were here for that. And then in 1967, uh, Pastor Bud came on the scene. Uh, Pastor Bud Palmberg, which, whom you'll be hearing a little bit from later, uh, renamed the church to Mercer Island Covenant Church. And I said, well, what's the process you undertook with the congregation to rename the church? He said, what process? I ordered new stationery. <laughs> and that's really funny if you know Bud, because that's, that's Bud. And then the name that I'm proposing to you in the year 2013 is the name Evergreen Covenant Church. And uh, actually, I've been dropping hints about this name for the past month in the loop. There's been little things, little Easter eggs that if you're smart enough to find. Um, But I checked last night and only 176 of the 500 people I emailed the loop to opened your loop. So uh, a lot of you are not opening your loop. Shockingly, it's not the most important thing in your inbox. Okay. Okay, so here's the story of how Evergreen uh, came about. This church uh, was in decline for many, many years. And uh, in order, as in, in an effort to stop the decline and the uh, bleeding in this church, they engaged the denomination and the conference in a process known as veritas, which means truth. And so they're saying, let's start with a diagnosis. What's going on? What's wrong with our church? Why are we declining for so many years? This was started in the year 2011. Uh, Veritas team was formed, commissioned, and charged with the task of starting this church on the process of becoming revitalized. Okay? And one of the things that they identified as a need, as uh, uh, something that we have to do, is to have a new name. And part of their rationale was a name is supposed to represent the ethos, the essence of the church. And that's sort of the way things go these days. Back in the day, I remember growing up in the uh, 70s and 80s, every church bulletin had a picture of the building of the church. Because the building was really important. It was about the physical location and the names had the physical area in it. Right? I mean, my dad planted a church because Open Door Church of New York. It had to be. You can't not have the word New York in it because it was in New York. And so that was really important. But it didn't say much about the essence 
of the church. Right? Didn't speak to the vision or the values or the mission of the church. But that's how things were named back then. And so the Veritas team says, we want a name that focuses us on the mission of the church. Who are we? And who are we not? And how can somebody uh, gain a sense, an idea of what this church is about, even just from the name? So this is a question that they began to ask. And then uh, in 2012, starting actually with this weekend is the first time that Susie and I did our first uh, exploratory spying out the land trip. And I remember because summer festival was going on at that time as well. Uh, But at that very first weekend, and then starting with all the different interviews that happened with us in July and August, um, each time the the interview team and other people we met, the elders, they brought up this idea of renaming the church because it represented to them a change and season for the church. It represented a time when we are no longer going to be in decline, but we're going to be growing and thriving again. So it was a symbolic thing. And so from the very beginning, I felt as part of my duty, part of my call at this church to to engage God and engage the church in what the new name of the church is supposed to be. It's kind of like when God is renaming people. He's thinking long and hard about who a person is, about the imago day of a person. And so I started asking the question, what is the image of God in this church? And so in order to do that, I said, I'm not going to think all these creative thoughts about the future and who we want to be, who we are striving to be. But I want to ask the DNA question. I want to know who we were always created to be. Why was this church started in the first place? Why did people gather? What made this church this church? And you and I, our problem, whenever we need to change, is not that we're being other than who we are. It's that we're being less than who we are supposed to be. So when God's actually changing me, he's not asking me to be a different person. He's asking me to be more fully who I actually am. It's like a great marriage. It's like a great parent. It's like a great friendship. None of these relationships are wanting to change you. They're wanting to help you to be you. So what this means is that our future, our name that we're going to bear for the foreseeable future is not in the future, but it's actually in the past. Right, You've got to go backwards. The African word for this, one of the, um, I forget what country in Africa, but a denomination has embraced this word, Sankofa. It means looking back in order to move forward. This is like our Sankofa moment. And God says, remember, whenever you're falling, falling off the trail, when you're straying, you remember the Ebenezer. You know what the Hebrew word Ebenezer means? It means to remember or remembrance stones. God said, when I do something great, you build a memorial for me. Stack up some stones so that these stones will always be there. And you'll remember every time you see these stones what I did in the past so that it guides you into the future. And so I engaged this very same process. Um, I had many, many conversations with elders, uh, with the staff. 
lots of ad hoc meetings. And then out of a season of listening, we formed a revisioning task force. Uh, Several of you were on that with me. They were commissioned by the elders of the church. And then we sat down to develop a rationale uh, for a new church based on a vision that we had articulated, which was based on the history and the DNA of this church. We added to what the task, uh, what the Veritas team had given to us. I, had, I was given multiple pages of documents and strategies and all that. And uh, the number one reason for wanting to rename the church is we want to return to the original vision and mission for which this church started back in, I think it was 1949 was the first time a group gathered here. And then uh, we said we want to not just be a, we're, we're called to not just be a local church, but a regional church. I was talking to some of the historians of this church. And they said, no, this church was never a local church. It was never just Mercer Island people. People came from all over Seattle land. People crossed bridges and drove many you know, miles to come to this church. This church at one point, was sort of the go-to church. If you were anybody, you came to this church. It felt like things were happening in this church. And so there was sort of a brand name associated with Mercer Island Covenant Church. Right? And so we asked the question, if that's the case, how can we more fully become a regional church? Because when we did our surveys... Mercer Island Covenant Church, you say that, and people thought regional local community church. Well, Mercer Island has several churches that islanders go to. Right? They have pres- the Presbyterian Church, they have the Methodist Church, they have the congregation, they have all these Lutheran, whatever. They have these churches on the island for the island. That's the image, that's the message that we were sending, whether we liked it or not, just by our name. And so one of the clearest uh, principles that formed out of our discerning process was we need a name that is explicitly regional because that's who God's called us to be from the very beginning. We happen to be on Mercer Island, which is one of the most central places you can be in Seattle land. When all the covenant churches of our conference want to have a monthly meeting, do you know where they ask to meet the most? Here, I host them every month. You know when all the youth pastors in the area want to gather once a month? Do you know where they gather? Here, on Mercer Island. It's not because Mercer Island is better, but it's way more convenient for as many people. That's part of why I took the call was, oh my gosh, this church has so much ministry potential just based on location, location, location. We can draw from all over Seattle land just by being on the island. How do we exploit this fact about our church, this opportunity, this asset, right here in downtown of all places, right off the highway? We got to exploit this. And so we started thinking along those lines. And then we came upon the second principle that a new name is really not for the people who are already here. It's not strategic for you at all. We can call this church whatever. And as long as you're, you feel like this is home for you, you're going to keep coming. Right? It's really for new people who are researching our church, who have just moved into the area, who are visiting on vacation. My goodness, there's so many of those here in the summertime. 
my summer schedule is filled with people flying in from all over my life to visit all of a sudden. Nobody visited us in Chicago, by the way. (laughs) It's like I won the lottery. All these friends are showing up. Um, And a third principle that we came upon is that we realize that a name fails when it's compensating too much. You know, uh, I have a friend who named his church Living Faith Community Church. Please don't Google that. And because uh, I'm going to say something not so positive about it. <laughs> a Living Faith Community Church. I said, why did you name your church Living Faith Community Church? And he said, well, because so many churches around us are dead. I said, oh, okay, so you're going to be living faith? What's, what's, what are you going to do to prove that you're a living faith church? He said, well, um, we hand out sandwiches once a month. You know, in downtown. That's it? Well, that's it. Well, that's, you know, practicing our faith. Dude, that's a fail. That's what I told him. I said, that's a fail, Steve. You're compensating with that name. You know what? Non-Christians aren't thinking you guys are living faith. You're thinking you're just doing token service. You got to put yourselves on the line. You got to put your lives on the line if you want to. You can't live up to that name. Every week, new people are going to be disappointed. You're overpromising and underdelivering. Why don't you let Jesus do the heavy lifting? That's what I said to him. You know, so studies show that you don't want a name that's trying too hard, right? You don't want a name that you have to live up to so much that every week you feel a little bit embarrassed. Right? So we want a name that's matter of fact and that describes the essence of our church. And as part of that essence, it's going to be regional. And so nothing stuck. We had over two dozen names that we worked, talked about, thought about, and crossed out. Here are some uh, names that almost made it to the list. First, there was Sanctuary Covenant Church. And we felt like there was just too many syllables and sanctuary is kind of a you know, a churchy kind of word, and we didn't know. But I like the idea of sanctuary because it means safe and holy simultaneously. Okay, and then next, we thought about, I thought about Planet Covenant Church. And uh, the original inspiration is because we're, we live on Poverty Rock here. And so rock, the planet, third rock from the sun, planet as in everybody's welcome, it's accessible. You know, we're all inhabiting this planet. And so all that, eh, did it make the cut? And then it was Mission Covenant Church, and we thought about this for a while, and some people on task force were really on it. And then it just kind of, I don't know, dissipated the enthusiasm for it. And then we got really desperate, and uh, I was talking to some pastor friends of mine, and one of them says, Peter, I got it. God just spoke to me. So you got to really take these God spoke to me things with a grain of salt. Uh, (laughs) Pacific Covenant Church. Um, I'm not sure what happened to Pacific, but it just, we fell out of love with it. And then that didn't quite make it. And then we got real desperate. So Pastor Bud actually emailed me this name. I didn't type that in. I cut and pasted it from your email, Bud. And um, this one actually stuck around for, you know, several, several seconds. But it's just... (laughs) And then we got really desperate. And so we have... uh, Poster child for our church? Not quite. That's Kent, if you don't know who that is. <laughs> is Kent here today? All right. <laughs> All right. Ten bucks you owe me. 
Okay. So Susie and I were sent off to Winthrop, uh, Washington, to take a three-day break. Uh, y'all were really great about taking care of our kids. First time we've been by ourselves uh, since our 10-year anniversary six years ago. So that was a real treat. And I was feeling at this point really discouraged because I wasn't just feeling the name. It wasn't resonating with all the criteria that we had laid out for this name. And then we were going on a 7.8-mile hike uh, there. And, uh, and Susie said, Peter... We're going to come up with a name. I said, nope, God doesn't love me. He's not going to give me a name. <laughs> and she said, nope, we're going to do it. Um, and we're walking in the middle of this hike. Uh, Susie said, Peter, I got it. And she said, it's Evergreen. Our church's name is Evergreen. And I said, that's such a boring word. She said, but think about it. Think about the, the scripture. Think about this region. I know it's common, but it really describes all that we are going for. Okay, I'm going to go to that later. Um, and it began to sort of grow on me. And then I brought it to the staff. And they said they, they loved it. And then we began to develop a theological rationale for it. And Julie said, really, Peter, you are really talking about Jeremiah 17, 8, which is a passage I hope I get to today. Um, and then I brought it to the task force. And then we all sort of worked, batted it around, talked about it, analyzed it to death, talked about did everything, all this research, said, okay, this is it. This is our name. We're going to submit it to the elders. And so one thing you should know is that our church bylaws have no provision for, there's no stipulation for voting on a church name. It's the job of the elders to do that. So I brought it to the elders, and it wasn't the new leadership team, just so you know as well. The final task that the elders had on their job uh, was to vote on this name. And it was enthusiastic. It was unanimous. They all voted for it. Um, and so it became Evergreen Church. And then for about a, uh, a month and a half, I've been strategizing how to bring it to you. And so uh, the staff actually is making me do this sermon today. It took out a Roman sermon to do, the, to do this. So that's kind of the story of the name. Uh, let me give you a little context about Jeremiah 17.8. And I'll try to uh, blow by this really quick here. Uh, verse 2 says, even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles or Ashtorah poles beside the spreading trees and on the hill, on the high hills. The context of this chapter is idolatry and the people of Israel trusting in all these other things apart from God. Now, Asherah or Ashtorah pole represented the goddess of fertility. And so when the Israelites are trusting in Asherah, they were trusting in Asher for their nation's survival. They needed to have kids. They needed to have life insurance plans. And they needed to have a 401k plan. They needed to have crops that were growing. And so for all these sort of progeny and food reasons, crop reasons, they looked to Asherah. And that's why you see the word poles. It's really sometimes a tree. And then you see the phrase spreading trees and on the high hills. It's representing fertility or the idea of greenness. Actually, the word spreading in the Hebrew there, that's the word green, ra'anan in Hebrew, found in verse 2. And then we have verse 6. And God says, you do this. And that person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in the salt land where no one lives. And so God is saying, you look to this goddess for fertility, for life, for sustenance, 
to, so that you have lots of healthy kids and so you have, lots, you have a good crop yield. That's not going to happen. The opposite is going to happen. There's going to be dryness, right? And then in verse 9, God says, I know you're just following your, your heart, but I want you to know the heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? God's saying, don't trust your heart. I know your heart leads you to trust these other gods, these other ways of living life. God says, don't do it. Your heart is deceitful. And then he says, verse 13, this is us speaking, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. This is us coming to realize this now. You are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. What is the source of life? It's water, right? So verse 14 says, referring to the heart, Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. And so now you begin to appreciate, understand the context of this verse, why it's so important. I'm going to read uh, this verse one more time. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The first thing is open source. And the phrase I want you to focus on is planted by the water. It's really, really important for us to know that success is not in the tree, but it's in the water. That is to say, how you do in life depends on your connection to the support system and not your own competence. Do you know this? Do you know that you're not going to make it if you're not well supported? If you don't have fresh water sources in your life, you're not going to make it. You need people speaking into your life, speaking truth into your life. You need people helping you with your marriage. You need people helping you to make good decisions. You need people helping you after you make bad ones. Your support system, that's the water. It's in the water, not the tree. This phrase, um, open source, is implying or speaking to just that idea. What open source means is that you yourself are not the source. But you are just a conduit, a means through which things flow. And so what is leadership? What is open source leadership? It's not me standing up here and saying, I have authority. I have power. I have position. I read a lot of books. I study my Bible. I pray. Therefore, you need to trust me. I will hopefully never, ever take that attitude with you. And because of my support system, I probably can't. Right? I have to be an open source leader. That means that I'm the lead question asker. I'm asking the question with you. I believe that the right answer is a process. That if we sift enough, then as truth emerges... We all submit to the truth together. So a decision isn't something that I make or you make, but it's what emerges as we shed light, as we tap our sources. There are professionals and experts and people who know more than any of us in this room. And our job is to ask the questions that get us there. 
And then the truth emerges, and then we mutually submit to one another under this truth. That's what open source is about. That's what being connected to water is about, about being conduits of resources and of authority. Even Jesus said to the centurion, right? You have faith. And what's faith? He defined it earlier. You know what faith is? Faith is the centurion saying to Jesus, oh, you don't have to come. Because there's only one authority. If I say, do this, the other person, my servant does it. I don't have to think about it because I'm under authority. And the centurion says, I recognize that you are also a man under authority. Right? Jesus himself is a conduit of authority. The centurion is a conduit of authority. We are all conduits. And so it's really redefining what leadership is. That we are servants who are facilitating. It also means this. It also means that we believe in abundance. Because we are not the source. What we need, we have an abundance of. And so we don't have to possess things. We can just pull things as we need. Right? We don't have to own everything. I know you walk past a beautiful flower. You have to pick it. You see a beautiful sunset. You have to take a picture of it. I could hardly enjoy the fireworks last night because so, so many camera flashes are going off around me. What's up with that? Why do we have to possess these things? Because we don't have an abundance mentality. We have a scarcity mentality. We think we have to possess everything. We think this moment is just one moment and it's going to be gone. I have to somehow contain it. No. You're going to have a bazillion moments like this. So enjoy it. Be present. You're open source. Okay? Um, another idea that flows from this idea of safe and holy. A lot of Christians are experienced as unsafe. Do you know why? Because we think holiness comes from us. So we're insecure. But it, what if we're conduits of his righteousness? What if Jesus is the only one who's righteous? And when we have him in us, because we're containers, then what if he's flowing his life through us? Then we become safe people. And of course, we see Jesus himself, who was obedient to the Father's will. That is, the Father's will flow through him. He was a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Second idea is the idea of resiliency. And the phrase there is, does not fear. Um, one of the most important differentiating characteristics about this church, look around you, is that we are multi-generational. Lots of churches do young 20-somethings well, and they grow and they flourish. Lots of churches do young families well. And there's lots and lots of churches with lots of seniors. But visit a church, and you will very rarely see a church that's embraced all stages of life as valid, legitimate, and important. I learned this week that America didn't focus on youth so much in the 1950s and before. We actually began to focus so much on the youth in the late 1950s and 60s. All of the advertising culture shifted to trying to sell to young people. And then since then, we began celebrating youth. And we began celebrating inexperience and doing stupid things and putting it on film. And, and now older people feel so illegitimate. They've been made peripheral. 
They've been disenfranchised. Now, I come from a culture where that's still not true. I come from a place where wisdom and experience is applauded and embraced and given space for in our lives. When an older person talks in a Korean church, everybody just shuts up. That's the way it goes. And it's still like that. I was over in Korea last uh, year for the first time, and it was very much an honorific culture. I would love to see some of that return to our church. That means that all of us together have our hands on deck. and We're working, we're serving, we're growing, we're building our church in order to do ministry in Jesus' name. It's not young people saying, serve me because I'm important. It's not older people saying, I paid my dues, serve me. It's all of us together being legitimate members of a functioning community. And so, does not fear this idea that this tree has been able to withstand time and seasons. That's resiliency. It's grit. And it's redefining what success is. Success isn't winning every battle. But it's being able to fight another battle and another battle and another battle and another battle. Continuing to fight multi-generationality, history. It's about staying at the table, not leaving the conversation, about not abandoning something or a church or a group just because you don't like something, but it's staying. It's staying power. That's what it means to not fear. And then lastly, we have the word green. Are always green. This is the Hebrew word ra'anan, It's used many times in the Hebrew Bible. I think the most beautifully here in this passage. And in one picture, it's describing life. It's describing potential. Susie started gardening. For days, we saw nothing but dirt. And then one day, she said, Peter, you got to come out and you got to see this. I went out there. I saw nothing but dirt. And then she said, no, you got to get closer. And I still don't see anything. She said, Peter, get closer. And then I saw these tiny little microscopic leaves. And then I didn't just see one or few. I saw thousands of them just just hovering over the surface of the dirt. It was amazing. As a city boy, I've never seen that before. Beautiful sight. But what was it? When I saw those green leaves, what does it mean? It means that there's life. Potential for fruit. And we've been enjoying it. My digestion is so good these days because I'm eating all these greens. It's connected to water. It's able to survive. I'm going to conclude this sermon. I think that's enough rationale and vision for the sermon. And I'm going to let Bud, Dave Salvig, and Marisa uh, bat clean up here. And so I'm going to ask the three of them to come on up. And uh, if you would be patient and uh, listen um, eagerly to their words, that would be fantastic. Curious, how many of you know my real name? Raise your hand. How many don't have a clue? (laughs) My real name, now don't hold this against me, 
My real name is Burdette. B-U-R-D-E-T-T-E. For seven years in Switzerland, every letter I got from the government or for the insurance was to Frau Burdette Pallenberg. <laughs> I still struggle with forgiveness to my parents. But when I was in junior high school, I was given some nicknames that I did not like. So my older brother and I sat down one day with a scratch paper and wrote down every conceivable nickname that should be considered. We went through a real process, much more lengthy than the process of changing the name of the church when I was pastor. (laughs) I wanted something short, clearly masculine, bud. And so when I told this girl from Jamaica in my church in Switzerland, my name, name, I'm Pastor Bud. She said, Pastor Butt? (laughs) No, 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 no. My wife and I attended a worship service in Nairobi, Kenya, a wonderful Lutheran church run by a terrific pastor. The name of the church, Uhuru Road Lutheran Church. Now, what kind of a name is that? Uhuru Road. I said, a good Lutheran would name it Holy Trinity or something. But Uhuru Road, he said, I struggle with that, but it helps the Kenyans find the church. Mercer Island Covenant Church was chosen as the name by that dictatorial old pastor because we have a lot of islands in Washington and in this area. Let's be specific. It's not just Island Covenant. They might go to one of the other islands. So his name Mercer Island. In the 26 years I was pastor here, I discovered that whether I was walking the streets of Skid Road in Operation Night Watch or calling and ministering to people on Mercer Island, when people would say, where do you live or where is your church? And I said, Mercer Island, the universal, almost unanimous response was, oh. And the assumption was that I must be a very wealthy preacher. Now, the fact of the matter is, I am. But (laughs) during some of the years of our ministry here, we had a church motto. More people, more like Christ. That's evangelism. More people, more like Christ. That's growth in godliness. Implied in that is the concept that our pastor has shared with us. Growing, green, bearing fruit, perpetually bearing fruit. Not resting on laurels of the past, but looking forward to the future with gratitude to God for the past, sending down roots into the source, to the water. That's what makes us green. I am impressed with our pastor in that he had an iPad mini. He got more out of that little thing. I have a big one, and I can't get that much out of it. (laughs) But I'm also impressed with the fact that he is allowing us and challenging us as a congregation 
to look not only back, hitherto hath the Lord helped us, but to look ahead and to see that the great days of this congregation depend not upon the pastor or upon the leadership team or upon our history, but upon being planted by the water and drawing its nourishment and its abundance. And the result? Great fruit. In thinking about the name Evergreen, I, I started uh, going through the Bible, and I found another verse that uses that same Hebrew word that Pastor Peter talked about, ra'ana, or evergreen. And it's in Psalm, I want to read it for you. It's in Psalm 92, uh, verses 12 through 14. But the godly will flourish like palm trees, and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they flourish in the courts of our God. Now, now here's the verse that really got my attention. Listen to this. Even in old age, they will produce fruit. They will remain vital and green or evergreen. You know, I think that certainly applies to individuals, but I think that verse also applies to our church. Peter talked about it, but do you, do you realize that this church is almost as old as I am? And, and I believe this verse applies to our church in that even in the, quote, old age of our church, we will produce fruit and will be vital and green. One last thing. I, in doing this, I also decided I would go to my dictionary and see what does evergreen, how is evergreen described in the dictionary? And I was quite amazed because what it said is that evergreen means remaining, let me get this right, retaining, freshness, and interest. And this is what I think the the name Evergreen will do. Thanks, Dave. Hello, my name is Marisa, and I am one of the last people you will hear from. Uh, I'm on the leadership team here at our church, and I'm really excited to get to have a few moments to share some thoughts with, with you And I actually want to start out with a confession. I don't like change. I generally don't like trying new things. I think when I was a little girl, I would only eat three things for dinner, happy meals, uh, pasta noodles with no sauce, and fermented soybeans, which I could describe for the non-Japanese in the audience later, if you like. Um, But for me, it's not even if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's more like even if it is broke eh, we don't need to fix it. In fact, I kind of like it that way because I'm used to it that way and I have memories of it being a certain way. So when presented with the idea of a name change, I initially, frankly, didn't like the idea of a name change. But when I heard that the name change would be evergreen and the rationale and the vision behind that name, 
this change of verse girl really liked it. And it's because, I, to me, it starts to tell the story, some of which we've heard today about what I think uh, just endeared this church to me and my family, and that's the fact that we are a multi-generational church. Uh, when my husband Dan and I came during the blizzard of 2008, almost five years ago, uh, we were you know, pretty new parents, new to the area, working like crazy, totally sleep-deprived, and we had not really had a church family throughout graduate school, uh, so for about three, three, four years. Uh, and so when we came, we were hoping to find a real community, Bible-based, people who would speak wisdom and truth and love into our lives. And so when we entered the sanctuary, some of you have heard me say this before, but we looked around and we saw the sea of white and gray hair, and we thought, jackpot, <laughs> we've found it. This is not only a community and a wise one because of years of, of age, but because of the stories that have happened in the generations that are present here, uh, that you guys have comforted each other when you've lost spouses, when you've lost children, when you've lost jobs, you've celebrated together weddings, babies, uh, new uh, portions of this very church building, that there's just a deep life here that has endured in feast and in famine. And I will say that in the last five years that we've been here, that's been my experience of feeling not only um, fed, but like this is a place I want me and my family. We want to plant here. We want to endure here. We want to follow in the footsteps. And so that's why it's Evergreen as a name may be new. It may be a new name, obviously. But the legacy to which it speaks, I think, speaks to the guts of who this church is. And so that's why even though I usually have a really hard time with change and new things, I'm very much excited for what this new name breathes into uh, the heart of this church. And with that, I would ask that you bow your heads and pray with me, and I'll close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we acknowledge that when it comes to names, your name is to be praised. And as your church, we seek to be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. We will not fear when the heat comes. We will try to have no worries in years of drought so that we could be evergreen and never failing to bear fruit. Amen.